BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From the 30 Rockefeller Plaza headquarters of Sci-Fi Wire in New York City, it is April 21, and this is episode 72 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I'm Aaron Sager's editor-at-large of Sci-Fi Wire, and I am joined by my cohort... Danny Roth, contributing editor at Sci-Fi Wire. Danny, you may have noticed, uh, maybe I shouldn't out myself like this, but or out both of us, because I lied. I lied to our, our excellent listeners. We are not from the 30 Rockefeller Plaza headquarters in New York City today. We are each, respectively, in New York City from our homes, uh, because... Yeah, we're recording from from home instead of going into the big building to do this. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about recording at home? Do you have pants on? Uh, I do actually on this occasion. I am wearing pants. In the past when I have recorded from home, I have gone sans pants. Um, I had to leave the house earlier. That's really the only reason that the pants are still on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind recording from home. I, you know, it's just a nice little extra flavor. I'm sure that there are many listeners who are sitting there thinking how much they wish they could be in one or both of our respective homes, but they can't. Um, but that's okay. I don't know. It's fine. It's, it's good. It's good recording at home. It's nice. It meant I could get some work done. That's what it really meant, if we're being really real. I'll say to our listeners at home, like, look, you know, if you're wearing pants and you want to take them off while you listen to this podcast, do it. I mean, probably not if you're in public or driving. That would be dangerous. Don't take your pants off and drive. But, you know, just uh, go for it if you, if you want to drop the pants. Um, it's, uh, I wasn't really expecting that to be part of my intro, and yet it was, and I, I'm, I'm not backing down from it. Um, but, yeah, I'm also yeah. recording. So It also- happened, Jim. I mean, you had, you had a bit of a journey getting home, so I think at this point uh, we can give you a pretty wide berth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, and because of the recording at home thing, I really hope this doesn't happen. But, folks at home, I have dogs. Uh, they might at any moment start making noise. Just keep that in mind. If it, we, we are not just going barking mad. It would be my dog. So anyhow, that aside, uh, Danny, what's what's winning your week? Uh, you know, uh, there's a, a YouTube channel that I'm a big fan of called uh, NerdWriter. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, the guy who runs it puts out a video, I would say, every about every week or two on average. And he put out one this week about uh, a movie that was um it wasn't very well received even though it has two very big stars in it passengers uh and he did something called passengers rearranged wherein he hypothesized that if you started the film at the second act if you started the film with jennifer lawrence waking up and had it entirely from her perspective that it would be a much better film Hmm. and it was great it's really good it's about nine minutes worth of viewing but um if you've got nine minutes of time and you want to see a version of that film that could have been really solid and maybe even great, um, it's definitely worth a watch. I was super impressed by it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to check that out. I I I can certainly see that perspective that or see that point. That was, you know, one of the things that 
was a big criticism of that is that it it really wasn't from her point of view enough but um i'll uh i'll look into that you know for me my nerdiness i can't really talk too much about it but you know that i was just on the set of 12 monkeys and yes that is a sci-fi tv show and yes this is a sci-fi wire sci-fi podcast however it was it was really cool being on the set um the uh, Terry Metalis, who is the director and showrunner of that series, they're they're filming back to back seasons, so they had wrapped season three and then just started going right into season four, which is going to be their final season. And season three premieres on March nineteenth. And the first thing I'll say is just the passion of that crew and the cast and everything. It's it's clearly people that love what they do, and um, and Terry was a a big super nerd. So it's kind of fun going to a project where someone truly loves the genre that they're working in. And, and it was also just kind of interesting getting their perspective on the fact that on May 19th, they're going to be dropping essentially the entire third season over the course of, I think it's three nights. Um, they're doing four hours, uh, I think Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And, it's sort of like making it a binge level show or making it easy for people to watch an entire season in one weekend. It's, it's a, it's an interesting entertainment experience and experiment. And I'm kind of curious to see how it, it lands with people. So it could be a trippy weekend for fans of uh, 12 monkeys who are going to be uh, binging live. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I, I mean, I like that show quite a bit and I think that if we want to put all our cards on the table, the as great a show as it is, and as is often the case with great sci-fi programming, just the ratings aren't there. So this is really a, a gambit to see if they can get people in, or at the very least, to sort of give something to people that are watching, give them something that's really exciting, where they get to absorb a lot all at once. So it's a bit of a gift to them, and a bit of an experiment to see if they can pull in some extra viewers doing things in a slightly different way. Um, so I'm very, I'm very interested. I'm very interested, interested to see from the, the, the back end perspective, how that plays out. I think it's actually, I, I think it's more than just, I mean, honestly, uh, what are ratings anymore? Um, I mean, I know advertisers may still look at that and we still talk about it. It's, it's part of our jobs, but what are ratings anymore? It's, it's such a weird thing. What it, what counts as a big number anymore? Um, so this I think that this is an interesting way forward. The the show Beyond on Freeform, they did something where they put the entire season online while also airing it episodically and or week to week. And uh, that was I mean that's kind of cool because it allows people to take part in the conversation at their own speed. Um, and so I think that this is. I, th- th- something's got to give with the way we air things and with the way uh, we're watching TV and the way people consume uh, consume entertainment. So I think that this is a, a smart and interesting move. Yeah, we'll see how it, how it works out. But it is kind of cool because, yeah, it immediately puts it in the hands of viewers who can then talk about it and uh, right away. And or they can kind of parse it out. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I'm always up for, you know, people or TV shows trying something new. 
Um, so I'm I'm gonna probably be spending the uh, the weekend in the house watching it uh, along with everybody else. So I have seen the first four episodes, and I'll talk about that later. We'll post some interviews and everything from that set visit. You guys can check out soon. But let's move on to our first main topic, which is the X Files. Um, we just had some news break just yesterday on 420 on uh, that the X-Files, the truth is out there still. Uh, Fox is resurrecting the X-Files, and yes, Chris Carter is coming back, uh, Jillian Anderson, David Duchovny, for a 10-episode season 11. I'm pleased. I'm also scared, but pleased. What, What was your response to this news yesterday? Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad it's coming back just because I mean, if they didn't, it would be a real troll of an ending because you really are in this spot where it feels like everything is about to happen. Uh so I'm excited about that. I am also a little nervous about that because of the season that aired um of the 10th season, let's say. I kind of liked more of the throwaway stuff than the big continuity stuff, and I don't want to lose the the humorous stuff and the fun banter and the interplay that we got last season uh, as a result of something that's a little more uh, long-form story-focused, let's say. What do you think? There was some of the the kind of mythology stuff that I did enjoy. Some of it was just a little bit overwrought. I agree. Most of my my favorite episodes, well, I mean, look, it was such a short, short season, but yeah, my favorite episodes were the standalone ones, and I actually particularly enjoyed that um, the Mulder and Scully meet the Were Monster. I think I, I'm probably butchering the title. No, that's the ti- that is the title, and I feel like uh, that you are not alone. I feel as though most people I've heard talk about last season really all responded particularly well to that one because it felt like classic X-Files, I think, more than almost anything else we watched from that season because it had that sort of humor to it, and it felt like I was watching the old show again. Well, to your point, as far as the... uh, It would be a troll of an ending for Chris Carter to just leave it dangling like that. I think that was probably what he intended to do because nobody knew that this was really going to come back, and I know there was a lot of money conversations and things like that, but... But that kind of seems like a Chris Carter move. In fact, I didn't really love that finale, so I I would not be surprised if they kind of realize it didn't didn't quite work out for them, and and how they respond is by just fast forwarding to uh, six months down the road, and oh well, you know, uh, it wasn't really aliens or or something, or you know, there was a basic Men in Black mind wipe, or I don't know, uh, but. I wouldn't be surprised if they do sort of skip past that somehow, um, but we will we'll see. Are there are there any particular kinds of stories that you want to see more of? I mean, you said the standalone ones. I know that I just I like good old scary monster ones. Um, you know, uh, Fluke Man is still one of my favorite monsters on that show. So I would like I not necessarily go back to him, but go back to that type of creepy story. Um, is any, what kinds of stories would you like to see more of in this 10 episode season 11? I'm, I mean, obviously bring back, bring back a turd monster, you know, have some kind of turd demon. Um, <laughs> or I don't know. I mean, I do that. I mean, as a big horror fan, one of the things that I really loved about X-Files was that they were able to go 
to so many different directions in the way that they would explain, let's say, different horror tropes. And I thought that was really cool. I don't. Do you remember there was a there was a like a Bruce Campbell episode even where he had kind of had like superpowers, and uh, and it was really good. It was really weird, and it was it was a nice I think departure for Bruce. It was it was still horror, but uh, doing it in that X Files world I thought was really interesting. So stuff like that I would really like to see more of. And again, I mean, again the the Wear Monster episode also had they stunt casted a, a really talented actor and brought him in. Uh, Jermaine. So I would like to see, I mean, like, I don't want it to be all stunt casting all the time, but I would love to see who they might bring in to do a one-off monster appearance for sure. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, you, you, are you referring to Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords? Yes. Oh, was that, was that not Jermaine that was the one? Did I get it backwards? Yeah, you got it, but, but right show. Yeah, he was, he was so perfect. What, what made it extra perfect is that he, uh, Reese is a big, cryptozoology uh nut like he he loves stuttering studying these uh these mysterious monsters or cryptids around the world so it it just kind of added an extra little nuance to to his casting but the um the thing that does (laughs) it kind of gives me pause is the fact that production is already going to start filming this summer and they want to they're saying that they're going to get it during the 2017 2018 season so okay yes that could include january like winter 2018 but it seems like it's moving along fast so i hope that it's not too rushed because assuming they don't have already like a bank of scripts there's a lot of story to break there yeah that i hadn't even thought about that because somehow i had managed to miss the 2017 aspect of it that is um for a show such as x-files um even though, again, I'm sure it's not going to be a ton of episodes, it's still that's still very quick. That's very, very fast to try and turn around a show such as that when there's a lot of pressure. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would say that there is more pressure now than there was last season, but I don't know if there's less either because people were not thrilled with how last season ended. So now I think that there is probably about the same amount that need still for it to maybe make good in ways that it didn't with season 10. So yeah, I think the onus is really on them now still. This could be, I mean, look, you know, you want to, when you're already an iconic show and you come back, you want to, you want to leave a good taste in people's mouth and also wanting, uh, leave them wanting for more. So maybe this is going to be sort of the final swan song and then, will have wrapped up that that universe. I would not be I would not be upset with that. I think, you know, it all good things should come to an end. Uh but Oh, uh, agree, agree. And it's, you know, I mean, I think X-Files is really 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 hard to 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 get right and uh I mean, a lot of people did like it. I don't want to act like nobody liked season 10, but no. I do think that there is a limit to how many you can do. I mean, comparatively, I started watching that new Mystery Science Theater and thought it was amazing and was surprised when I saw a bunch of people critiquing it and saying it wasn't very good. And I was like, what? Really? That That's the one that's not good for you? I mean, no, all right. So I feel like I'm sort of on the opposite end of what I was with X-Files, where I was very, very critical of that one. So I think it's all sort of in the eye of the beholder. I would be happy if it was just one more season at this point, though, because really... How many more do you need for X-Files? I was shocked we got any more at all. One more would be good for me. Yeah, even when something is great, like 
even if uh, I mean I did enjoy the first season. I didn't think all of it hit, but even if it was flawless, I still think you know things have to come to an end. Uh, I I just think that that's a just a because stories have to come to an end. Um, but instead of endings, let's talk about some beginnings uh, in the Marvel universe, or at least beginnings on the TV front. Danny, why don't you update us on some of the news that's happening in the MCU and, and I guess, MTU? Well, we've got some new Marvel TV shows coming out. Um, We saw the first trailer for Freeform's Cloak and Dagger, and we were finally given the official lineup of who is going to be part of that Squirrel Girl and the the, uh, New Warriors team. Uh, which was surprising in some ways, uh, I think maybe a little disappointing, but mostly exciting, I would say. Uh, I know that Cloak and Dagger is coming 2018. I think that Squirrel Girl is in around the, the same neighborhood because they're both freeform shows. Well, the let, let's let's start with the um, Cloak and Dagger trailer. First, I, I loved it. I thought that, um, I, I can't say that I have kept up with the uh, modern day comics of it, but I was uh, I was following the adventures of Cloak and Dagger back in the you know eighties and I guess uh, early nineties. But so I ha- I've missed some of the later incarnations of it. But just as far as hitting the right beat, feeling modern, feeling important, um, and and reflecting, I think a world that uh, it, that is this world right now. It it felt relevant. It it looked good to me. I'm I'm certainly excited about it. What was your initial Im- impression of it? Same. I also felt really good about it. Um, like I was nervous to watch that trailer because before I watched it, of course, the internet has to have its say, and so it was a lot of people saying, "Oh, it feels like something that would be on Freeform, as though this is some kind of attack." Uh, and I said, "Well, you know, Freeform to me is is just it is." at this point, pretty youth de- demographic, and that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, I like younger shows. I like shows um, that aim for a, a teen and an early 20s sort of demo. And, uh, I mean, that's the reason why when I was that age bracket, I watched the WB, and I still like that stuff now. That's why I, why I still watch the CW, and it's the reason why when they announced that um, the team from Gossip Girl was going to do the Runaways, I said, that makes sense to me. And watching Cloak & Dagger... That obviously is going to be a darker tone, but I do appreciate that they are trying to appeal to a younger audience. It doesn't mean that I can't identify with these characters or understand their stories. And it gives me a little bit of um, that darker 90s brooding TV show vibe a little bit, too. It's got some of the the, the Buffy vibe to it, I think, uh, and a little bit of the Roswell vibe, like some of those more classic WB kind of sci-fi supernatural-esque um stories that they were telling in the mid to late 90s so i'm way into that it really feels like a a smart move and it's something that i'm definitely going to watch i like that these well first off these are younger characters in in the comic books so it does it does feel like yeah it's it's a good property for freeform but i also i enjoy about it that it it reminds me of the initial iron man trailers as far as sure there's there's going to be fans of the comics that will know these and and i would say that in the last like you know eight years or so that people are a little bit more um uh uh, familiar with some of these deep cut characters than they were before iron man and yet 
these characters are are very fresh and new, I think, to most people, certainly to the mainstream. So they can really tell a story, make it their own, really introduce these these uh, these kids as cloak and dagger a team in in the way that they the way they see fit, you know, and still be true to that spirit. So I like that. It's not like casting a Spider-Man and putting it on TV or or even a Flash, for that matter, or a Supergirl. So I, I think that that gives them some freedom and some flexibility for this show. And just from the effects, I mean, granted, we didn't see a whole lot, but I was pretty stoked to see at the end of that trailer um, Cloak's, uh, just a little bit of Cloak's power, uh, or at least him wearing, you know, the cloak. And um, I want to see more of that, that, I forget the name of the power, but the, uh, you know, what, what does he call it? The uh, Shadow Realm or... Dang it, I forget now. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see it, and I'll also be very happy um, to see Dagger, you know, wearing... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Clothes? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was really, you know, it was very hard for me to get into Cloak and Dagger, and most of the time it was just that the costumes they would put Dagger in were just ridiculous. I just could not connect with them, you know. I'm not actually against, you know, all, all um, let's say, somewhat questionable superhero outfits because they are superhero outfits but like it wasn't just that they were kind of exploitative it was also that they were ugly (laughs) yeah like that that a much greater criticism for me was that they just if you're gonna do something where you're gonna show that much skin make it look good make it interesting really really like give me something stylistic uh that i can latch onto that's aesthetically pleasing and i don't think that they ever i've never seen a dagger costume where i was like wow that's the one that really does it for me. So I, I think that this live action thing sort of forces their hand a little bit uh, to if they can't do something that is iconic to at least do something decent, for God's sake. But I'm hoping for both. Yeah, the um, the uh, the class. I mean, it was such a 80s costume, but the um, the, the I guess cat suit with the boob window. Um, not really not not really the kind of thing that we should be doing uh, in in comic. But yes, it, and not just because it's. It just doesn't look good, but it just doesn't lend itself to good superhero action um, to have your uh, vital organs exposed via boob window. Um, not a good idea. Yeah, for there, power. Are, there are layers of problems with it. You know, it's just I mean, like you can have a problem with it uh, from a from a, a social uh, perspective. But I think you can also. Yeah. Just thinking about uh, superhero costumes in general um, and trying to have some kind of logistic in your book. That, too, also is a, a pretty substantive issue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's on the way. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And we did see that there was a bit of a Roxxon um, oil group uh, sign at the end or on, in there right next to, to Cloak. So they are definitely making note that this is, this is truly part of the MTU. So we'll see what we learn about... Um, what kind of Easter eggs? I'm sure that'll be on the way. But moving on, why don't you talk about the uh, yeah? Talk about the uh, new warriors and squirrel squirrel girl. That's harder to say out loud than I anticipated. Yeah, yeah. I think it is that. I think the reason that happens is because every time you keep thinking to yourself a little bit, I'm surprised that it's not just squirrel girl. <laughs> Like, oh, right. Also, the new warriors are going to be there, and I tell you, um, for a while, I wasn't sure why they were going to do it. And I'm going to tell you, I now think that I have a very strong suspicion as to what they're going for. Uh, now that they, one of the particular members of the team 
that they announced is Mr. Immortal. Yeah. Craig Hollis. And um, he did not, as as I recall, was not like the most super interesting character in the comics. But the way that they're describing him for the TV series is very reminiscent of the immortal character from another show that I really liked called Misfits. And I am now beginning to suspect that Marvel is trying to do a more clean, light, funny, comedic version of Misfits with the new Warriors team. That's my guess. That's what I think that they're going to try to go for as far as a vibe. Like, if you could just take all of the sex and hyper-adult stuff out of Misfits and just had a, 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 a team of literal Misfits, uh, I think that's what we're going to get. That's my guess now based on the lineup. Yeah, and I, I, I could see your point on that. I don't disagree. I, I do like that this, uh, you know, it's a half-hour comedy and it's set in the uh, the MCU, MTU. But I, I, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that we are getting a comedy. I, I like this uh, embracing of the lighthearted side of this world and the fact that they're doing it with, um, again, not maybe not the most popular characters. I certainly, um, you know, I'm familiar with Speedball for a long, long time and Night Thrasher and um, and Squirrel Girl is, is certainly a uh, popular character that in recent years. But I don't know. I like it. It makes sense. And, and it's a good kind of counterpoint to the powerless TV show that's airing over on NBC, which is set in the DC universe. So uh, I, I think it's kind of cool. We'll talk a little bit more about the characters themselves and and who you're excited about, who you're excited about seeing. You said Mr. Immortal. But who else? Uh, I would say the character that I'm most excited... Well, there's two. I would say Night Thrasher I'm really excited about because he's a character that I am already familiar with. um, And I think there's a lot they can do with him. And then I am a little less familiar with Debris, but I'm very pleased that they said, all right, we're going to have this lesbian woman of color be a part of our show. I think that that's, I mean, as silly as it is to say, like, all right, we crossed that one off the list. I do think that you have to make sure that you're you're doing, you know, quote, diversity in your in your show, just because that's the way to make the best show. You have to make sure that there are the characters that reflect the world that we live in. Uh, and I think certainly in my life, that's, you know, th- that's, these are the people that I know. So I'm glad to see uh, Debris, and I'm really, really excited about Night Thrasher, because I like the idea that he doesn't want people to know that he actually comes from a wealthy family. It's kind of a like a cool little story, a nice little background for him. And um, and he's been interesting in the comics, I think, for many years. Uh, so those are the ones I'm really excited for. Um, I am nervous about Speedball. Uh, and when I say I'm nervous about Speedball, what I mean is that I'm nervous about the possibility of penance the uh, alter ego that he takes on later. I just don't ever want Penance to show up. The weird self-harm, like, super emo, really miserable. That's just never that. I mean, maybe they could make make me feel otherwise, but going into it, uh, I do not want Speedball to ever become uh, Penance. That's all I I ask. That's my one request on the way in. Yeah, what do you I, think? What are your thoughts? No, I'm I'm excited. I I, I agree. I, I'm, I am excited to see Speedball though. Um, uh, it's not a character that I would rank as one of my favorite Marvel characters, but it's certainly a character I have a fondness from. Again, just reading 
and sort of the early days of the the new warriors comics and everything so yeah i'm excited for him um i'm probably a little more excited for night thrasher just because i i always thought he was a very cool character but overall yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what they they do in this world it does seem like there's there's that I guess with all these projects, there's pressure on, but it does seem like there's some pressure on this because if you screw it up, um, you know, a lot of people are going to take certain things away from this that, uh, okay, well, maybe the comedy angle doesn't work for Marvel or maybe this uh, diverse cast isn't working for them or for Freeform. I hope that's not what happens, but as you know, when something doesn't succeed when something succeeds everybody wants to take credit when something doesn't succeed nobody wants to take the blame and uh and they will instead assign blame so um so i hope we don't go down that path i hope that's not what ends up happening with uh the new warriors starring squirrel girl squirrel girl why why can't i say that it's a hard one yeah i feel i mean i feel mostly good about it the only thing that i my literal only criticism is that i wish that uh, Firestar or Namorita were in there. But that's about it. And the thing is, uh, they could always have them make appearances. So I assume nothing. I assume nothing. This is just a preliminary team. There's a long way to go, a long road to hoe. We don't even know who's playing any of these characters yet. We just know that these are the primary ones that we'll see. It's entirely possible that some of these other characters who are mainstays of new warriors that people like uh, will show up. I hope... I hope specifically for Firestar is someone that I like. I have a couple friends that are like huge Firestar fans. And I like Namorita. I think that she's got um, – there's a lot of potential to bring a character like that in. But I think knowing that they've got already um, Squirrel Girl and Debris on board, um, I think that they're doing that balancing act right now. So I think what we have is good. Uh, and I think that they've got a lot of room to grow with all these characters and they can always pull a Legends of Tomorrow and write some people out if they don't work and bring in new people. I think that that is a, a, a thing that Legends has laid down, which is great. I think that's one. I think if people want to learn lessons from what's happening on superhero TV right now, I think one of the best lessons that you can learn from is Legends because they really were able to, to turn on a dime, change some of what their cast lineup was from season one to season two, and it worked very well. And I think the idea that anybody could leave or die or whatever and be replaced at any time on a superhero team is the way it is in the comics always. And I think it's a, a great way to pivot if something isn't working on your TV show that stars superheroes. So there you go. It's interesting, I, you know, just talking about uh, Namorita. I actually wonder if Marvel Studios or Disney has the rights to that character because Namor is sort of in the ether legally as far as which studio owns him and and that might be the case with um firestar as well i don't know how she how how she lands in things because that might actually be part of a um a sony connection wouldn't it um it's could could very possibly be i don't 100 percent know for sure i've never actually i mean i've seen lineups but you know it's funny they don't usually include firestar on the list Uh, um (laughs) yeah they don't go like and and you guys hands off Firestar. Yeah. It doesn't usually come up in the public trades, letting people know what was going on with with a C lister. We got big plans yeah. for her. Uh, just you wait. She's gonna have her crime lab in Aunt May's living room. Um, 
unfolding. I know I'm, I'm going to the different incarnation of Firestar, but still, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, well, we'll, we'll see on that one. Um, yeah, the, I, I look, you know, I, I, I have learned not to underestimate Marvel. They, they've got a good track record, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but certainly excited about Cloak and, and Dagger. Uh, well, let's move on to our next big topic, which is Doctor Who. Doctor Who, the pilot. Um, so this is episode or season 10, and the premiere episode was called The Pilot. It's Peter Capaldi's final season as the Doctor, as the 12th Doctor, and this premiere also introduced us to his new companion, Billy, or Bill. Uh, what did you think of this premiere? Danny, I know you're a big Whovian. Uh, I know you're, you've been kind of watching this show for a long, 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 long time. What'd you think of the pilot? I really liked it. Uh, I think it's important to, to mention also that this is Stephen Moffat's last year. And, oh. uh, and so this is this represents really the end of a of a really long era because he had been on the show even longer than uh, Russell T Davies had been, so and also had worked with Russell for such a long time. You know, he was one of the most consistent writers on the first couple of years of the show when it came back. So this handing off to Chris Chibnall is very very notable because it really feels like it's going to be a, a totally different show after this season. So I think that uh, I don't know if I'd say it's that the pressure is on that. Stephen Moffat has to do the best season he's ever done, but I do think that he is, I think, jumping in, thinking of himself and thinking of Peter Capaldi, who has been a lifelong uh, Doctor Who fan, and trying to do some of the things that they've always wanted to do, some of the best things that they can come up with, the things that they as fans would want to see themselves. So I think just based on this first episode, you can definitely see that. Um, I really like, and they made a note of this when they did the after show, that I think this is one of the first time they've ever done it with the start of a season, where it starts very quiet. We're starting in this office space uh, where the doctor is, and, and you know he's become this professor now. And Bill comes in, and there's no fanfare about it. There's no, uh, there's no alien attack occurring. There's no running around. It's just a quiet conversation. And in that conversation, you start to see, I think, right from the beginning where the season might go between these two characters. Um, they really have done a very good job, some ways that I think some would consider subtle and and uh, and maybe some things that seem obvious. But um, the thing that really jumped at me right from the beginning is this idea of who Bill might be because uh, – there's a question of why the doctor has brought her in to the room. Why is it that he's talking to her? Why does he want to be her tutor? And she says, why me? And they cut to a picture of the doctor's desk, and he's looking at a picture of Susan, his granddaughter, and I cannot help but think that perhaps Bill is related to Susan, that she is a descendant of the doctor's. So yeah. right from the outset, within the first five minutes, I'm quite intrigued. So that was like my very first impression. And then I think the episode is, as a whole is pretty good, but I don't want to dominate the conversation. What 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 did you think so I mean, far? I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was uh, pretty zippy. Um, 
this is this is actually the kind of Doctor Who episode I enjoy because it is fun and it also highlights the the fun of having a TARDIS. You know, uh, you can just kind of pop pop around. Um, I agree. I, I think that this is sort of Stephen Moffat. Uh, he's he wants to have his final Valentine to the series and uh, send Peter Capaldi off with a um, a season that he can be really, really proud of. And and really, I mean, you mentioned uh, Susan's picture, Susan Foreman's picture on his desk. Well, there was also a River Song, uh, a photo yes. of River Song. There was old uh, sonic screwdrivers on display. Uh, so there's a lot of, and I'm sure I missed quite a few things, but there's a lot of Easter eggs slash fan service for people. And, and yeah, I think this is Stephen Moffat certainly trying to ride off into the sunset with this. I, and as far as, um, Pearl Mackey's bill being, um, being related to Susan, I think that's a, that's a fair guess. I, I think as far as Pearl Mackey's performance, I think she's great. I, I think the the dynamic, the chemistry between her and Peter Capaldi is great. And I actually just think as a companion, she's a fun type of character, the earthling character that is not, um, I mean, maybe she's special. I mean, but, and, and that's certainly something that comes up with the, the doctor and the companions quite a bit. But at least on at the outset, she just sort of strikes me as, a normal uh, woman from from England, from London, instead of a Clara type. And I'm not a Clara hater. I, I, I enjoyed Jenna Coleman's performance for the most part, uh, and I enjoyed Clara for the most part. But I don't know, I just kind of like the somewhat more uh, pedestrian, if you will. I mean, maybe she's not pedestrian, that might be the wrong word, but just sort of average Joe type of character, type of companion. Because uh, it's well, it I think it... he's definitely trying to to dig back to to Rose and yeah. how she was at the start. You know, they even do the bit with her lying in bed and hearing the the alarm clock sound, which is a direct yeah. link right back to that first episode, Rose, when the show came back. So I do think that that uh, Pearl is meant Pearl Mackie, uh Bill is meant to um, evoke a bit of that for sure. Um, and then yes. I think also hint at a potential connection to the doctor because not only do they show him looking at Susan, but they also do a number of shots wherein Bill is seated on the opposite side of the desk and they'll cut to her and it's her and then a picture of River Song right next to her. You know, it's very it's composed in a very particular way and it's hard not to think that it was done with something in mind that, you know, whether or not that actually means something, it's certainly meant to evoke or hint, or maybe even trick you into thinking something. So, I, I mean, I just, at this point, if it's Moffat's last go at Doctor Who forever, then you know that he's going to really be very particular about what he wants for the final season. Like, I don't think he's just going in half-hearted. So whenever I see something that seems strikingly iconic in some way, uh, I assume that he's had a hand in it, that he's done that for a reason. So I think that's great. I think it's a nice balance between the more Clara and um, and uh, uh, good grief, why am I blanking on Karen Gillan's character's name? Not Nebula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amy Pond yeah. slash Nebula. Yes, yes, yes. His his famous companion Nebula. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think that those characters that are, you know, the girl who waited and, uh, you know, and, and this, this mystery girl that he's trying to figure out this puzzle to solve, I think that that was a Moffat standard, but that people had kind of gotten tired of it. But he still likes that, so he's sort of buried into this more Rose-like character, just a little bit more of of of, uh, of the Amy and um, and Clara kind of character type. Yeah, he's trying to marry the two so much so that uh, on multiple occasions, I and I did it just a moment ago. I referred to her as Billy, as in Billy Piper instead of just Bill. So um, that's that's been a, a fun little. Uh, slip of mine. Well, let me ask you about this. So, according to the story, um, the doctor has uh, been working, at, has been operating as this professor uh, on the university for, uh, and he has his uh, manservant, played by Mac, Matt Lucas. Uh, for some reason, he has essentially a manservant. Uh, and for, so, what, like, 50 years, 60 years, 70 or, years? Or longer, yeah. They suggested it could be up to 75 that uh, that the Doctor and Nardal have been in this university. Yeah, What? so what that would mean is the Doctor has been, the 12th Doctor has been operating out of the university for essentially the entire time that we have known um, all previous 11 incarnations of the Doctor. That would go back to before the beginning of this of this series so before William Hartnell uh was even introduced to us as the doctor is that am I overthinking this Danny or do you think that there is some significance to that and and is that going to play into the larger um sort of um, mysterious uh the vault thing is that going to play into this this larger mystery I certainly think it could I think that's a possibility. I mean, we've we've set up this idea that he's at the university because there's something in the basement, right? Some kind of gateway that seems to have uh, Gallifreyan-like symbols on it that he is protecting, perhaps. Uh, and I do think that the timing could be linked into it, uh, especially since we've heard certain rumors come up about the possibility that David Bradley, who had played William uh, Hartnell, who was the first Doctor in uh, an adventure in uh, space and time a couple years ago, may be indeed returning for the Christmas special uh, to actually play the first Doctor and have this be a multi-Doctor story as Capaldi's true swan song. So I do think it's possible that they're they're going to that place where they're actually going to combine the time that he's been there. Uh, and it's not the first time that he's, you know returned to that particular time period. The Seventh Doctor did the same thing, uh, where he went back to that time and that place, and there was some manner of artifact that was lurking around. So this is, this is a thing that Doctor Who, as a show, has done before. So uh, I don't think it's crazy for you at all to suggest that that might happen, because there's precedent, and there are rumors. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about that William Hartnell, or the um, David Bradley as William Hartnell, as the first Doctor uh, rumor, I'm, I am I thought David Bradley did a great job as William Hartnell in that movie, and I actually really enjoyed that movie. Um, it was, uh, was, I don't know if it was directed, it was certainly written by Mark Gaddis. Uh, I don't know if he directed as well off the top of my head, but, so I enjoyed that, I enjoyed that portrayal. I don't know 
if 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 I really want to start having setting a pre- it's not really setting a precedence they have done it before but bringing back previous doctors with with new actors um although David Bradley could do it so and I really liked him I'm so I'm so torn I'm so torn about this I don't know how I feel I kind of don't want it to happen but if it does happen David Bradley would be great at it uh uh I don't know what to think what do you think about this Danny I mean they do have a specific uh, precedent for the first Doctor being played by people before, you know, first it was William Hartnell, then it was Richard Herndahl. So uh, I am not against it. Uh, if somebody said, and now this opens the door for us to recast all of the Doctors, that I would balk at, that I don't want. But knowing that we've recasted this particular first Doctor before uh, makes me hopeful that if they do take this road, that it will only be for this one doctor, that we're not going to do this with uh, Troughton and onward. Because I really don't, I don't want that. I don't want a, a Troughton 2.0. And uh, Sean Pertwee, who is John Pertwee's son, has said that he will never play the third doctor. And if it's not him, then it really shouldn't be anybody. So, yeah, I would much rather, uh, I, I'm okay with I'm okay with this one example. And also because the rumor that's surrounding this whole story is so tasty. It's such a juicy morsel that the Christmas special is going to be the other end of what had happened during the last multi-doctor story we saw, wherein it turns out that locking the locking Gallifrey away in this little parallel place where it's safe, like this little pocket of time, is maybe not as easy as it seemed to be, and that in fact the first Doctor and the 12th Doctor are having their own adventure and that it links up to the moment we first saw those attack eyebrows of the 12th Doctor and that also it would be explaining um, this period from uh, the first Doctor's final story, which was the very first appearance of the Cybermen. Uh, He is away. He is off screen for most of that episode because William Hartnell was very sick. And they were in the process of writing him out for a reason. He was not in good shape. So you don't see him and they say that he's off. He's either captured, he's doing something else. And so there is this possibility that maybe we're going to finally get an explanation for where the first Doctor really was before he regenerated, which will parallel so nicely with the 12th Doctor's uh, also regeneration as his last episode. So given that rumor, if that's true... That's pretty cool. I am if that all that stuff is true, then I'm on board. Provided those those details, I'm way into that. I if if they tie it all together in that way, it would be it would be very cool. It would be an, a a satisfying send off for that whole team, um, and I. I'll, I'll I'll certainly give Stephen Moffat the benefit of the doubt, and we'll and we'll chat about this after the Christmas uh, Christmas episode. But I mean, speaking of rumors, you can't really talk about Doctor Who uh, at this particular time or any time you know someone's leaving without talking about who is the next Doctor. And this is a conversation that we've brought up recently, uh, previously on this podcast. But well. Who are the big contenders? And then we're going to, I think it's worth talking about sort of the latest thing that's uh, kind of been teased or introduced or rumored today. So who have been the big names that you've heard about so far? 
I heard Olivia Coleman for a while. That was a big name. Um, I'm trying to think who else was like really on the list. I know the the two that are in contention now. Um, before today, before the rumor showed up today, the really big name was um, this guy from Death in Paradise called Chris Marshall, uh, who, if you're American, you are, would be more likely to remember um, from Love Actually. He is the British guy that is going to America because he thinks that uh, American women will be interested in him because of his accent. Um, yeah. That is that is how most people know him. So those are the two the two big ones that I had heard going in to today. And then today, uh, the Nerdist dropped a rumor. And Aaron, I will leave to you uh, since you mentioned it before the podcast began. Who they were announcing and then did not retract as being the front runner now. Well, and and before I get to that, I did you hear that Anthony Anthony Stewart Head from. Um... Buffy, most known for his work on Buffy, was one of the rumored ones as well. That, that was another big uh, rumored contender. I did not hear that this time, but I have heard that in the past. I think that he is. there's a certain list of actors that I think just come up every single time, and he is certainly one of them because he is a well-regarded actor in Britain, and he is a known quantity in America, so if they cast him, obviously... I think there's just a huge swath of people that are guaranteed to tune in, but I don't buy that for one minute. I don't think it's him at all. Yeah. Um, well, so the the rumor that came out today. Okay, so yes, the Nerdist reported this. They said that they have someone close to production. They're reporting this on. Uh, it's unnamed, but they're saying they have a good authority that. The next Doctor is going to be played by Michaela Cole, who is uh, a comedian and creator of Chewing Gum. I cannot say that since I have uh, heard this rumor that I've had a chance to watch her work. Um, I have kind of looked at some of her tweets, which are pretty funny. Um, And she is uh, a woman. She is a black woman. She is certainly a, a, a comedian with some some energy, based on what I have seen. She's got a lot of enthusiasm and energy in her performance. So this certainly would be a departure and a change for this show that has had uh, white men in the lead role uh, for its its fifty three year fifty three year history. But um, but. According to Michaela Cole, she says no. She tweeted, tweeting being the way that people confirm and deny things now. She tweeted this morning, April 21st, saying, Doctor Who? Nah, I'm actually, I'm actually definitely not the next Doctor Who. Also, happy to collect the money you would have laid down in the betting shop. So she's giving a denial. However, Nerdist has not retracted the story. Um, Nerdist is certainly a big enough operation and they certainly have done, uh, some pretty close partnerships with the Doctor Who, um, production before they've, they've been involved. They did, uh, they, I think hosted like some big after show events for BBC America. Chris Hardwick has hosted for the, um, the Doctor Who live events. So they, they have a partnership, so it is believable that they would have someone very close to production on that. Um, and I wouldn't say Nerdist is 
a media outlet that is known for just whipping off rumors left and right without um, with with reckless abandon. So I'm not saying it's on point, but I'm saying that I give them credit for having some information on the inside. Yeah, and no, I mean I wouldn't come after them by any means. I think it's just my whenever I think about there being a new doctor, I remember uh, every time that comes up. And it's even the people that are often right are often wrong about this one particular topic because it's really hard not to report on every single thing or at least some of the bigger ones, the more interesting ones. And certainly Michaela Cole it would be a really huge change for the show. Um, so I'm not surprised that even though it may not be entirely substantiated, that Nerdist would be willing to run with that story, depending on who told them. But at the same time, we have this this other rumor happening uh, wherein the BBC supposedly, and again, this is also one of those situations where if it's Doctor Who and it's about a new companion you should, or a new doctor, you should always take it with the, the grainiest of salty grains because so many things get said, assume nothing. But the rumor was that the reason why uh, suddenly Chris Marshall was the front runner is because the BBC is nervous uh, in this sort of post-Brexit world, uh, thinking that it's too much of a risk to change the Doctor into anything but a white man because, you know, the world doesn't really seem to want anything but a white man right now. Uh, and that ain't true just in Britain, you know. So this sort of post-Brexit, post-Trump world has sort of supposedly got the BBC nervous about changing the formula in such a drastic way. Um, so that is, I hope, not true. <laughs> Although, just given the the state of the world, I'm not ruling it out as being possible, is what I would say. Let me bring up this um, article uh, from the London Sun. So this was April 19th. A, um, a man wrote to the BBC saying that uh, a, a viewer complained that they couldn't have a gender switch to Doctor Who because his children would be very confused about this. Um, and according to the London Sun, they received a reply from the BBC America, or the man received a reply from the BBC America that, quote, there are cur currently no plans to have a female Doctor Who, unquote. So let me just kind of respond to that. Uh, well, first off, okay, so if if this man did write this letter, uh, I would say, welcome to the 21st century, sir. Your kids will be just fine. Plus, within the realm of Doctor Who, this has already happened on a couple of occasions that there has been characters who have regenerated into different skin colors and different genders. However, that aside... Uh, and again, welcome to the 21st century. Let me just say that the London Sun is not exactly the most is not exactly the bastion of ethical journalism and reliable reporting. So it's very possible that the BBC America did issue this statement. I am highly skeptical that they did. Um, so I don't know about that, but the grain of salt that you should take this article with is rather large. Um, and, uh, and perhaps even larger than the, the TARDIS itself. So 
That's sort of my reaction to that London Sun piece. Anyhow, uh, did you have any? Thoughts oh, I, I I I agree with you in the sense that I think if you're coming at it from the Sun as as a thing that is preaching to you absolute truth, um, you should not do that. But I think that for me, um, the grain of truth isn't so much them saying that's what happened so much as just looking at the world <laughs> and saying it's not out of the realm of possibility that the BBC would say, let's not play with the formula right now, just looking at w- the way things are literally being voted on in both the UK and America right now. I mean, that's not, it's horrible, but is it f- feasible? Yes, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I think that's absolutely the kind of stuff that gets said behind closed doors for sure. You know, whether or not the sun got a hold of that knowledge uh, that I kind of doubt. I mean, it could be maybe possibly, but could it have happened by chance and the sun just guessed right? Yeah, that is also possible. Um, I'm far more I'm interested in this just um, in the perspective of the way in which the world impacts fiction and vice versa. Uh, because I've been thinking about Bill in particular. Uh, I watched, they do have an after show that's not with the Nerdist right now, um, which is, I think, based off of this 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 one fan uh, that works at the BBC now, and they do online after every episode airs. They have her sit down and talk with somebody. And she sat down and walked uh, and talked with uh, Pearl Mackey and Stephen Moffat, and they talked about this idea that they brought Bill on, and what it is that they're going to do with her. And Stephen Moffat said something uh, which I thought was very interesting, uh, let's say, which is that he looked at um, the LGBT fan base and said, of course, of course you want everything for Bill. Of course you want to see everything from her as much as you can get because you are hardly ever represented in media at all. Uh, And so what you want is totally reasonable, but it's just not feasible. And I find that to be a he's really trying to ride the middle. And I'm curious to see the impact that it's going to have on the show, because obviously he has heard something. Otherwise, he wouldn't have commented on it at all. What do you think about that, Aaron? Uh, well, I haven't seen the the quote. Uh, I didn't see that interview so I, I kind of am hesitant to respond to it, but I can see the, I can see his point as far as it is hard to tell every story that should and needs to be told um, about a character that's yeah about people that have been underrepresented. I don't know that a good storyteller couldn't do that i mean i i think that 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 is sort of the magic of tv when you have the pen and you can put it to the paper and write these scripts you can find ways to tell interesting stories or interesting components of stories it doesn't have to be um uh, always like a a big a very special episode of doctor who uh it could be just way of building out characters and and doing it in subtle flourishes that tell us a lot about who the character is and about what she's gone through, um, so I think I think good writers, good storytellers can can convey a lot without it having to be 
wanting everything or delivering quote everything. Um, but again, that is having not really seen that, that quote and, um, you know, uh, this being the first that I had actually heard of that. Yeah. I mean, look, here's, here's my, my take on this. I think, uh, there should be an understanding that he's going to get 13 episodes and then it's over because Pearl Mackie ain't sticking around by all accounts. Everything we've heard is that she's a one season companion. So I think the specific anxiety, um, which is to say that I, I don't think you, you can't tell every story. That's impossible. But uh, I don't think that that's what people are asking for. I think that there are certain things that they want and uh, perhaps more potently things they don't want. And I think most notably is that people have a real anxiety that Bill is going to get killed off and that's how she'll leave. And I think the potential good news is just watching the first episode. Stephen Moffat has created a situation wherein Bill could leave in a way that we already can see right from episode one because – we introduce this woman that she's attracted to. She is like the doctor, not somebody that likes to stick around. She winds up in a situation wherein I don't know if she's really dead quite so much as, so much as she is now connected to this um, technology because she is, in fact, the actual titular pilot in this case. And there is a moment in which Bill – and this is now uh, spoiler territory, so if you've not watched the episode, watch it and then come back. But um, – there is a point in which they reach out and, and, and hold hands for a moment, and there is this idea that Bill could potentially travel all of space and time with this woman instead of the doctor, and she doesn't at this moment. So it's entirely feasible that the, that the season ends with Bill reuniting with this character, since part of the reason that she goes to the doctor at all is because – she says, oh, could we find her again? Is it possible that she's out there? So it could be that that's how the story ends, that she gets a somewhat happy ending wherein she – this this woman who she has developed feelings for in the pilot episode, um, she goes off with her at the end, that she leaves the doctor behind and travels space and time with a woman that she loves. That could happen. Uh, they have certainly set up that possibility, and I'll tell you right now, if that one thing happens all on its own – uh, I'm not saying nothing else matters, but boy, it will leave a lot of tension um, with LGBT fans of science fiction media in general and Doctor Who in specific. Well, there's, there's one thing about this show that I do love is that overall um, it, there is a, I think, a message of hope. And um, and I hope that that continues with these, you know, with this final season. I, I hope that we do get a satisfying Conclusion for Peter Capaldi that we get a um, uh, yes. The rumors seem to suggest she's not uh, that that Pearl Mackey's not going to stick around, but uh, if she does ha depart, that it's a, a satisfying and um, and and smart story, a fun story, a good story. Um, maybe not fun, but at least a good story. So I hope that uh, that that Stephen Moffat pulls it off in the end. And speaking of the end, we have reached the end of this podcast. But before we let you go, just want to remind everybody out there. Well, first off, thanks for listening. Give us a subscribe, a little click on that subscribe. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. Let your family know about it because this is really a family show. It's not, but I'm just really stretching at this point. Uh, and also, 
Uh, keep an eye out for our other Sci-Fi Wire podcasts. We just reached the end of The Churn, which is the Expanse podcast, but you can go back and re-listen to those episodes. Same with the Colony podcast. And also head to Sci-Fi Wire to check out all of our amazing video content and editorials and interviews. We just went to Star Wars Celebration last week, so there's a lot of cool stuff for you to check out from that. More video on the way from, I think, both Danny and I. And also check out our daily Alexa Skill to stay on top of the news and hear the sweet, sweet voice of our editor-in-chief, Adam Swiderski. And also, say hi to us on social media, at Sci-Fi, at Sci-Fi Wire, all across the board. And speaking of reaching out, Danny, if people want to reach out to you, Danny Roth, where can they find you? Well, you can find me, Danny Roth, contributing editor at Sci-Fi Wire, at uh, Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. That's Danny with one N. Ordinary, also with one N. And I'm Aaron Sagers, and you can find me at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, occasionally Snapchat, on the street, getting some milk from the local bodega. Uh, And wherever we find you, we hope that you find us here again next week for another episode of Who Won the Week. Thank you for listening.